Hello and welcome back to Absurdity Post Hiatus. Uh, before we jump into this, if you want to hear a little bit about what led to us taking a little break and uh, and what the plan is moving forward from here, uh, go ahead and stop this episode. Go listen to the 20-minute special episode that we released um, just before this uh, that kind of walks you through what our plan is for the foreseeable future and moving forward and uh, lets you peek behind the curtain as to why we needed to take that break and um, you know what our hopes are moving forward as well. So. Yeah, go check that out if you want to peek inside our brains and our hearts a little bit and um, and then come back here and continue to enjoy some um, some awesome content, we hope, <laughs> um, an awesome conversation. Um, unfortunately, this topic today is one that we're not thrilled to have to talk about, but right. it is what it is. Um, it's relevant. Yep. I mean, that's kind of, I mean, I think we would talk about it anyway, but it's relevant. So it's like, all right. Yep. And just so you know. Um, we do have the Absurd Podcast Network, and we do have merch uh, for the network, absurdnetwork.com slash merch, if you want to check that out. But the <laughs> other, so exciting. Um, the other thing that you should check out is uh, I finally started being active on the YouTube channel. Um, on the YouTube! Thanks to uh, some small windfall income, I was able to um, mostly, I still have a little bit left, but mostly able to redo my studio and get the final pieces of equipment I needed in order to really start ramping up the video content production and so um started releasing videos right now that i think they're at the time of this release there are i think three videos up um releasing one a week at least and um just kind of trying to do short form more intentional content uh that that sometimes deals with the topics that we've already talked about on the show but otherwise uh deals with just things that i think are important and it's along the same lines as absurdity so i think you'll get a kick out of it if you also enjoy this podcast, which I don't think you'd be listening if you didn't. So yeah. Um, Tony and I still in Chattanooga together. Um, yep. still brave in the COVID-19 storm. Uh, no travel it has been a storm. That's such a great description. Yeah. Just, just chaos, but also not chaos because everything's been slow, right? Well, like, I, that's the thing. It's like, like this long rain that just won't go yes. away. So I, when I was six or seven, I, I want to say seven. Uh, my family went to Puerto Rico for a while. My mom's Puerto Rican. And so we stayed on the island for a couple months. Um, my parents wanted me to learn Spanish along with my younger siblings. Um, and they really felt like the best way they could do that was by immersing, like totally immersed. So I went to school where they spoke Spanish. My family spoke Spanish. Um, my mom spoke Spanish to us while we were there. And what's crazy is a hurricane hit at the end of that period. And I remember it was insane because there was so much chaos. Like everything was different. It was a super long like rain. And then everything was quiet. Like power was out. Um, water was down. The roadways were covered. So like nothing happened. It was just quiet. Mm. You could hear, I almost felt like you could hear the stars. Does that yeah. make sense? Yes. It was like, you could look up and just be like, beep, beep. like they do twinkle. Um, they do twinkle and twinkle is a sound effect it's just who knew we didn't know so unlike in la where you had one star and it was probably like madagascar yeah. <laughs> the stars out tonight um yeah so it was it was insane and that i feel like it's it's been that way with covid man it's just it everything was different it was chaos and then it was just quiet yep 
And now it's chaos again. <laughs> and now it's chaos again. And it, like there was some little moments of spurts of chaos and don't even get me started on the Michigan protests that happened um, and things like that. But we'll probably actually reference one piece yeah. of that at yeah. some point in this episode. But, sure. Um, we've talked about American and Christian exceptionalism before. Uh, this is the idea that uh, when people think this is what happens when people think they are inherently superior because of what group they belong to or what country they live in. Right. So that's American exceptionalism is is or, um, you know, within our own denomination, we've seen a little bit of cultural superiority um, happening with, you know, more developed countries looking down on less developed countries and expecting um, expecting them to just fold or bend to the will of of the more advanced, quote, um, parts of the denomination. We've seen problems with that. But I mean, just in general, uh, Christianity has a problem with this because um, we'll do this to other religions and other faith groups or people who don't have faith. And we'll say that we are inherently better than them because we have the morals that come with our faith or whatever, you know, whatever arbitrary reason that we want to claim we are better. Israel in the Bible struggled with this, (laughs) uh, thinking that they were morally uh, and inherently superior in value to the rest of the world, the rest of humanity, because they were quote, God's chosen people. Um, Exceptionalism is something that's kind of stuck with us throughout all of history. And um, it is something that I think we should talk about because it has an incredibly relevant place in the conversation right now. Yeah. Um, You know, this, what, what does it look like when one person or many individuals, as we've talked about the, experiment with you know just turning um the the knob the little dial yeah Yeah. the little dial and if enough people turn a little dial and shock someone a minute amount that minute amount on aggregate eventually kills them um the what does it look like when one person or even many individuals believe that they have an advantage or deserve special treatment just because of who they are what group they belong to or what positions they have that's the question that we're that we're that we're hoping to answer today, um, and by doing so, uh, and in doing so, we're going to look at what's crazy to me um, is we're recording this May twenty seven, yeah, and yet just this week alone, in two days' time, we have two tragic cases where individual exceptionalism was partially responsible for a racist encounter in New York City, and partially responsible for the death of a black man while in police custody. Uh, in Minneapolis. Yeah. I was like right after each other too. Just pop, pop. Yep. I, it was just it. And both are outraging for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say one is definitely harder to swallow than the other uh, when it comes to reading news or otherwise. Um, and I think the best way to talk about individual exceptionalism is, uh, is to talk about both of them because individual exceptionalism is probably what I would say. And maybe I'm potentially, I'm okay if I'm wrong in what I'm about to say, because I don't think it's actually going to impact anything big, but I do think that the, I mean, racism falls under exceptionalism as a category of it. Yeah. Where exceptionalism itself leaks out, leaks out into other areas of life. So in other words, if I'm, it's a, it's a broader category. Yeah. I could feel that I'm morally superior to you. I could feel that I'm, uh, racially superior than you. I could feel that I'm um, behaviorally superior to you. I, um, uh, I have been in a relationship before where uh, my significant other 
always thought that she was better than me because she had um, she had less experience than me, and um, in you know relationship activities and in intimacy with someone else, and um, it was that was a normal thing. So yeah, behavioral or or sexual superiority, um, and. So there are all these it, it different just, categories. Yeah, anything that it can kind of fall under. Yeah. Anytime um, you think that there's an ability or an op- opportunity for someone to feel better than someone else, that's, that's individual exceptionalism. And I think it's important. Now, obviously these are extreme cases of it, but I always feel like you have to show the extreme cases of it because you know, I was, I was talking about this with um, quite a few people the other day, you know, inconsiderate when we say inconsiderate um it tends to be like a small thing like you know oh they left the or they ate the last cookie or they you know didn't do the dishes or, or my housemate left his house his room light on his light on yeah house. oh that's not that's that's very inconsiderate so we tend to associate small thing with being inconsiderate but the very definition of being considerate means to stop and consider what my actions are doing to other people um, and you just to consider what my, yeah, both positive and negative, but consider what my actions are, you know, the, the consequences Yeah, to be inconsiderate means I, I don't really care how this affects you. And when you see the extreme version of it in consideration, that would be individual exceptionalism. Right. Yeah. And, and these, are, this is the extreme case of that. So that's why we're going to pick these two particular lenses to look at it it isn't because we necessarily want the drama of it but it's important enough to see this is something the the principle behind these two events um obviously there's a bunch of things to factor into it but we just thought it was interesting that this this idea was present in both events and was a, a major mitigating factor. And it's something that grows up. It isn't something that starts big. No, it starts small and then works its way up. And so I think that's the big thing that we both wanted to observe. And, and, and that's why we picked these particular topics. Um, not because we thought it was, you know, Oh, we want to talk about the drama of it or, Oh, we want to be over, you know, yeah, I, I I don't know what I'm looking well, for necessarily, but it wasn't that. I think the the craziest thing about the two things we're talking about, which is Christian and Amy Cooper in Central Park and George Floyd in Minneapolis, um, is that the one of these is one of these is an extreme and resulted in something extreme happening and extremely tragic happening, whereas the other one is relatively tame, had no had no like immediate consequences for either party involved that, in, yeah, in, the that, moment, in that like moment, in that moment, in the vacuum yeah, yeah, yeah. of that moment. Yeah, yeah. There were consequences and repercussions later. later. Yeah. Um, but the, it's, it's just how normal the first one is. And it's an example of how the things that we think of as not a big deal quickly spiral into they could, a big yeah, deal. Absolutely. Um, so it's, it's, it's what it represents. It's like, it's like watching the butterfly effect mm. in front of your eyes. Yeah. So let's talk about Christian and Amy Cooper. Uh, there is no relation between these two. Uh, there's Christian Cooper and there's Amy Cooper. I mean, it's New York, um, so you're, you're going to get yeah. like 8 million people with the same similar yep. names. But um, so Christian Cooper is a bird watcher watching birds in Central Park on the morning of Memorial Day. Shocker, <laughs> right? 
Um, and he was in the no, Ramble. No kidding. Uh, which is a section of Central Park. I've never been to Central Park, so I'm just going to take the internet's word for that. I've actually been um, there. Yeah. Okay. And one of the rules in, in the Ramble is yep. that it's not a place where dogs are allowed to be off leash. There are other areas where that's allowed. From from what I understand, the Ramble is supposed to be, and again, anyone correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I understand, the Ramble is supposed to be um, like a quieter area. And so it's meant to be a little bit more, not peaceful necessarily, but just like a little bit more controlled, I think is a yep. good way. And so this is what happened. Uh, Christian Cooper sees Amy and her dog who is tearing through, um, who's tearing through the bushes and met and disturbing the area, which would scare away the birds and harm the environment that those birds that people love to watch go into. And he approaches her and asks her to leash her dog or take the dog elsewhere for it to run off leash. And she refuses. And after a brief encounter, which nothing violent happened, um, the most you could say was it was a misunderstanding and, um, potentially a lack of wisdom on the part of Christian Cooper in, in his choice of phrasing, because essentially he said, well, if you're going to do what I want after she refused, then I'll do what, what I want. If you're going to do what you want, I'll do what I want. And then he called the dog and started reaching for treats in his pocket that he actually keeps for dogs. Never pulled them out or anything like that. But it was at that point that, that Amy escalated and said, no, don't touch my dog. And then threatened to call the police on him. And so he hadn't, he hadn't done anything wrong yet. He hadn't committed yeah. any crime. The most that you could accuse him of was not being a hundred percent direct about whatever his intention was with the phrase, you can do what you want. Well, then I'm going to do what I want. Um, which I get why to some degree, a, you know, a female alone in the morning in central park or wherever, um, uh, any vague comment like that might set you off a little bit. Yeah, for sure. However, that does not warrant anything that happens after this because after that brief direct well, and go ahead just, just to point out he wasn't following her from what i could see on the tape you can go you're on a run go at central park there's usually a ton of people out mm -hmm. um the fact that they were out in central park is actually kind of crazy because of how much you know new york has been affected yes by covid but the, okay they both are you can go find people in Central Park. Like it's not, it's not like it was night. This is the daytime. You can leave the situation. This wasn't a dark alley, and you know what I mean. Like yep. you can leave. So to me, that also is a mitigating factor. And what happens next is the there was always the option of I am literally going to run away. Yep. And here's so after this encounter, she calls. She calls the police and after, well, after not the encounter, the whole thing is the encounter, yeah, but yeah, after yeah. that but after interaction, that particular yeah, moment, she called the police and she said, an African-American is threatening me and my dog. And the video is out there because Christian started recording uh, right after she said, no, don't touch my dog. And not only that, not only did she call them and tell them an African-American man is threatening her, which she hadn't, act, which he hadn't actually done. Um, then uh, she, not only did she do that, before she made the call, she looked this man in the eyes and told him that if he did not leave her alone, if he did not walk, you know, leave, she would call the cops and she would tell them. She literally said, I will call the cops and I will tell them that an African-American man is threatening me and my life and my dog. So if you want to, if anyone wants to say this is race baiting, she made this about race before anyone else. Because if you're going to levy that as a threat. Yeah. When his race had nothing to do with anything, like 
This is her essential. Other than yeah. that's who he is. Other than that, it's not even who he is. It's just the way he looks. Yeah. Like, she believed that by telling the police his race, she as a white woman would be protected by the police, that they would act in her favor. That's essentially what it was, was yeah. she believed she had an advantage here. And her, she didn't say a large man. Yes. She didn't say an aggressive man. She didn't, the descriptor that she used. And she didn't even say what the threat was. Was racial. She just said, is threatening is me. Is threatening me. Yeah. Um, and her actions and her wording essentially is saying, if I tell the cops about, if I tell the cops what you are, then we both know what they do to people who look like you. That's essentially what she's saying when she says, I will tell them that an African-American man is threatening me. She, at some level, is acting on knowledge of, of police brutality instances in, in you know, recent American history and is basically weaponizing the police against a man because of his skin color and believing that the police would take her side because she's a white woman. Well, and I want to mitigate every, well, not mitigate. I want to make it clear. It is extremely unsafe to be a woman in this planet. <laughs> like, Oh yeah, absolutely. It is, it is extremely unsafe. Um, yeah, they were just, I just read an article after 19 years you know, the U S troops are finally leaving Afghanistan uh, and the Taliban are still there and they have not changed at all. Um, so we lost uh, or we will once we officially go. Yeah. Um, because we haven't changed anything. And I just think of all the women in Afghanistan who now aren't going to be able to read. They aren't going to be able to go to school. Um, you know, and, and we can debate whether or not that is a good thing. Um, that there is a debate there to be had, um, versus, you know, traditional methods, but you know, that's just one part of this world and granted. Yeah. Again, that's an extreme part, but it's like, okay, ask women in India. What's it, you know, if it's, you know, where, where their husband can sell one of their kidneys off without their consent. Uh, you know what I mean? Like ask, you know, women in the South where we are, you know, Mm -hmm. black women, white women. Yeah. If it's, you know, I mean, how many, how many abuse cases do we have in this country, in this quote unquote civilized country? So it is very difficult uh, and very scary to, to be a woman, yeah. just to exist as a woman. I so don't, I don't blame her for feeling threatened at a vague comment. Not at all. I don't blame her for that at all. What I blame her for is what she did well, in response to her, herself feeling threatened. And to me, again, you have to look at the context of it, right? She, pardon me. She wasn't running along. And this happened. She was breaking the rules. And it's not like everywhere. Again, if you, if you listen to the conversation, what's going on, there are places in central park where you can have your dog off a leash. They specifically built them for that. And they're big sections. It's not a tiny little corner. It's a, they're big chunks. Um, it's, it's perfectly legal there. Right. It's like if you were to go to a beach that is not a nudist beach, there is a section, a big chunk of it that is a nudist beach. And someone just walks along and you go, hey, look, I, there's a section for that. Please don't do that here. And they get offended that you're offended. Mm-hmm. Right. 
She was breaking the rules. He responds by saying, can you please, you know, do what the rules are. It escalates because she does not want to. She doesn't want to obey the rule. She doesn't want to follow the guidelines that are out there. Um, I have so many people in my life that do things similar to that. Obviously not at that level and it never escalates that way, but they'll do things like that. Like I'll just park in the handicap because no, there's a reason why they have that there. It might be inconvenient for us to have to walk a couple blocks more, but there's a reason why they have this. Yep. Um, and, and the rules don't apply to me because I'm X is the problem that I see. Yeah. In, in that moment, she was, she had her dog off leash in an area where it wasn't supposed to, where that wasn't supposed to be the case. And she thought that was okay for her. He, he was not angry that a white woman was running next to him. He was not angry that a dog was running next to him. He was none of that. The situation was you are breaking the rules and I am holding you accountable. And then the, the situation escalated. Right. And, and there are two sides to every story, obviously. Um, I'm much more inclined to believe one particular side based on the conversation that was filmed, but, but it took both sides to escalate it. Both, both sides said things that weren't smart that escalated the situation, but then she drops her own hammer for me contextually. Yeah. Well, if you're the one that was breaking the rules. Yes. I would agree with that. Yeah. And you say, I'm going, you are threatening me. But you started the situation by breaking the rules. You are the one that now decides, well, the rules don't apply to me. And I'm going to, if, if you have a question of who's going to abuse the system, the person who started the, the, the event by breaking the rules is, in my mind, the one that's more likely to abuse the situation. Well, and she hasn't ever, like Christian put out what, he's the one who made this go viral by posting the video in the first place and by... Um, and by posting part of the conversation that took place leading up to him recording. And she has not disputed any of the, that I know of, I haven't seen anything where she's disputed any of what he claimed happened leading up to the, um, leading up to him starting to record. So well, there are two and, sides and, of the story, but they actually she, agree on this And when this she one. did go to the police, um, she said she admitted that he was not threatening her. So if anything, she's confirmed part of it. And as the article that I read that kind of turned me on to it was like, oh, she's going, she could face up to a year in jail for that. Mm. Um, and this is why it's so bad and, and weaponizing it is a problem, et cetera, et cetera. And so, yeah, she's not disputed it. If anything, she's confirmed it. Yep. Or absolutely. at least parts of it. Yes. So we're lucky here. And this is why this one isn't an extreme case in that both Christian and Amy left the scene before cops arrived. So arrived. So no police report was filed, but at the same time, it's not hard to see how this could have turned into something that was so much worse had they showed up or had Christian not been filming. Um, and what's amazing about that whole interaction is that, um, well, Christian didn't commit any crime or do anything. And while recording, he was actually the one staying put and telling her to back away from him. He didn't move. He just rotated his body, but he did not approach her. He stood there still. He may have taken a step or two to shift his position or whatever, but he did not at all approach her. He kept his distance, and she came up to him. Um, but Amy 
has since lost her job. And uh, that same day, she returned her dog to the Cocker Spaniel Rescue Shelter that she had adopted it from a few years ago. Um, And now she's complained to CNN that her entire life is being destroyed. Now, I'm not typically one to say what goes around comes around or, you know, I don't, I'm not about karma necessarily. Yeah, providence, right? Yeah. But there is some level, even in the Bible, of you reap what you sow. Um, And it's just ironic to me. It is sadly and tragically ironic that this woman tried to destroy another man's life through his skin color. She literally threatened his safety with with the police as the as the weapon. Right. And again, she's yeah. you know what they'll do. Yes. Yeah. You you tried to destroy another man's life through his skin color because he told you to put a leash on your dog in a place where you're already supposed to have a leash on your dog. And now you're here complaining that your life is being destroyed because of your actions. And I would also like to point out that I really feel bad for the dog in that situation. Cause if you watch the video, oh, yeah, the, do- that's the not dog is getting the choked. Dog. Yeah. Like not, not just like kind of the dog is like <laughs> the so, whole time. So, she doesn't have the dog on the leash. Yeah. That's what's even. Yeah. Just the whole interaction. She yeah. would have been physically more comfortable. The dog. And this is the thing where the dog responds to the stress of the human. And the, then they feed. It becomes this vicious cycle. Oh, of yeah. feeding. So this dog is being choked and it's already anxious because of the escalating situation. And now she is, um, now she's being stressed out and her dog being stressed out is causing her to be more tense and stressed out, pulling harder on that collar. You can hear this dog basically fighting to be comfortable and breathe. Yeah, right. And, and look, Hey, I, I've owned dogs before. Uh, there are some that are very obedient and nice. And there's some that are not, um, they're still wild animals. They will still. So this, this could be a dog that just, it wanted to go out. It was constantly fighting. It was a problem. I get that. I had a dog that she, she was an Australian shepherd. She was always find the leash, man. Like you were dry. It was like that scene with Harley Quinn where she's got the two hyenas and they're just oh, driving yeah. her along. Like that's how it feels. And, and you know, I was growing up, I was like 10, 11 years old. So I was being dragged along by this dog. And so I get that at some level, like, Oh, okay. It, it, it can be less comfortable holding on the leash. But at the same time, it just, you're choking the dog. How yeah. do you not recognize that? Yeah. I think the overall lesson from this, and I'm going to use an example here um, that I also used in the YouTube video where I talk about the Amy Cooper case um, is that we have this misconception that racism has to come dressed up in a KKK outfit yeah. or brandishing a Nazi symbol tattoo on someone's upper arm or whatever. But racism is way more often more subtle and nuanced. It doesn't announce itself. If it did announce itself, we'd be a lot more resistant. Like we'd be a lot more rejecting oh, of it yeah, than we yeah. are. No, like racism yeah. would be if 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 that was all racism was was something that announced itself with neon signs and um and you know just just said I am a racist. I hate people of color and I I hate anyone that doesn't look like me. Um, we would have probably ended it a while ago. Um, or at least done a, done a lot more well, stuff. Yeah, and done a lot more yeah, stuff. Yeah, out. yeah. Um, because 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 we look at where that does happen, and we say, "Oh, well, I'm not like that." Yes, and therefore the racism in your own heart, or that that may or may not be intentional, gets obliterated. Yes, by by the obvious ones. Racism is not. Like racism is an overt hatred yeah, and an expressed hatred, is. but it's also this feeling of superiority 
that that we that that we may have over someone who is a person of color of a different you know of a different racial group or ethnicity than than ourselves it's the understanding that we will have certain advantages or the expectation that we will have certain advantages or privileges ass, ass, you know assigned us because of the way that we look this is what amy cooper did she believed that as a white woman her word would be inherently trusted over a black man's and that the black man would face punishment and she like well, I'm going to touch on this in a second, but this is why this is important. If you think like this isn't a big deal, nothing happened, whatever, and we're wasting our time. History has proven the danger of someone believing that they can lie about their circumstances and everyone will take their side against a person of color. And the most famous case that I know of of this is Emmett Till. Um, so Emmett Till is one of the most famous civil rights cases. He was a 14-year-old in um, Mississippi, who was lynched at 14 years old after he was accused of offending of offending Carolyn. Ooh, I can't speak. He was accused of offending Carolyn Bryant, a 21 year old in her family's grocery store. She was married, so he was accused of flirting with or whistling at Bryant, and she testified later that that he had made physical and verbal advances toward her. But six decades later, in 2008, she actually disclosed in an interview that Till had did had not come on to her sexually. And she, she had told the jury that he had grabbed her by her waist and he had uttered obscenities. And now she's saying in 2008, that part isn't true. Nothing. This is a direct quote. Nothing that boy did could ever justify what happened to him. But sure enough, seven days later after the incident, before any trial, before anything, Till was lynched by Carolyn's husband and his half-brother, who were actually acquitted of the crime. A month later, and when a different a different it, yeah. the kidnapping charge yeah. was acquitted in November of the same year, um, and we know that they were the ones that did this because Double they, Jeopardy yeah. protected them a year later when they publicly admitted to it. Now they faced social out they faced social rejection as a result of that, um, and so we you know to some extent people were like yeah but, but yeah, no, well but not in not yeah. where they are in Mississippi. This they was a not. woman who ex- who who used hyperbole and embellishment to make people believe she was the victim of something that didn't happen. At least did not even happen in, to the extent that, that she was claiming and he died because of it. Like this, this kid Emmett Till died because a white woman believed and knew that people would take her side. If she made it sound bad enough, uh, if she made it made what he did sound bad enough, no one deserves to die for, uh, for flirting. I mean, it, it's, it's like, uh, it's not doxing per se, but what's the one where you, where you call the FBI swatting? On? It's like swatting. Yep. I mean, it's like swatting. And Emmett Till's one of the most famous civil rights cases. I mean, it was right. It was Rosa Parks before she did the, the bus oh, protest. Yeah. She got involved with, with a rally that happened in response to Emmett Till. Yeah. Yep. Well, and you know, I was talking, talking, I was reading an article um, where a DA was talking about this and the DA said, this is actually fairly common. Had he not been recording, she could have filed a police report later. Um, he would have been arrested. It would have been set ridiculously high. Um, if he couldn't afford it, he would have been sent to Rikers until the court case came up, which could be days, months, weeks. Um, and most likely what would end up happening is because DAs want to clear cases. I have to be really careful because I might end up in, in, but 
I hear stories about this all the time. People abuse, again, abusing the system. And what they'll do is they'll basically say, we're going to charge you with this huge crime, the max. So if you plead to this lesser one, um, we'll yep. just give you time served. And, and, but it goes on their record. Yep. Makes it harder to find a job, makes it harder. So basically it's not like, oh, well, you know, nothing happened. It's like, no, this happens a lot. This happens a lot. It happens all the time, actually. And that's why it's so important that you don't use it as a weapon. Yep. I mean, and, and, and also why it's so important that it was recorded. This is, this is individual exceptionalism and it's an application of racism that could have easily escalated into something much worse in the yep. moment. And I think yep. this is why those conversations with our friends or family who exhibit racist attitudes, make racist comments, make a racist joke, whatever. Um, those things are really important to address when they happen because all it takes and Amy Cooper demonstrated this and now, and you know, 60, 70 years ago, 75 years ago, um, um, Carolyn Bryant exhibit, you know, demonstrated this as well. All it takes is one moment of being caught off guard. for Those racist attitudes that we thought were so harmless because they aren't doing anything about it to be weaponized and used against a person of color. Just takes one moment of being caught off guard. Amy did not go. She actually maintained. She's like, I'm not racist. I don't hate black people. She didn't wake up going to search for someone to discriminate against. She didn't be like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a black guy in trouble today. No, she didn't think that. She was going about her normal quote non-racist day, right? And when the moment came, she acted without a second thought on unconscious biases, on biases and prejudices that were in her heart unaddressed and undealt with in order to gain an advantage in the situation. And it, it just goes back to, well, the rules don't apply to me. Yep. She, she can, the reason why she weaponized it is because she felt superior. I can do what I want. Um, it, it's, it's a pride issue. It's an arrogance issue. It's inconsiderate at the highest level. One of the highest levels. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to talk about the highest level in a second, but to me, I think that's mm-hmm. the big issue that we need to address. We need to talk about is, is you are not being considerate. Yep. You're abusing that power, that system that's been given to you. Um, women should be believed when they say I'm being threatened. They should be believed. They should. I'm an advocate for that. I'm a huge advocate for that. But at the same time, we need to make sure that when you say I'm being threatened, you are actually being threatened and why it's such a big deal that her life is being ruined. Cause I quite frankly, in my opinion, it should is because when you cry wolf, like she did and ruin someone's or potentially ruin someone's mm-hmm. life, you not only make it harder for Black men, America reinforce the negative stereotype. Yep. But you also make it harder for women who are actually being threatened mm-hmm. and abused. You make it harder for for them to for the come people who actually to, yeah. have been threatened. There, there is a there's a very real, and I would actually agree with this. I think we've talked about it in a very limited. We've referenced it. Um, there is a real thing of a, a lot of the kind of re- reported rape statistics 
um, to some degree can't be trusted because of the number of women and and really and men as well, the number of victims who never come forward about it. Yeah, the number of unreported cases is 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 basically assumed to be astronomically higher than what a lot yeah. of the stats report. Yeah. And some of the stats do try to take that into account, but there's only so much you can do there. Well, I mean, it, you know, like they'll say like only 40% actually get requests. Well, well, how do you know this 60%? Right, yeah. How other? do you know the other 60%? You know, how, yeah. how do you know that that's 60%? And it's, it's, that's even based on, you know, people who come forward, but don't make an official report, different things like that. So it could be even higher than 40%. It could be only 20%. The best chance and the best time to stop racist ideologies are before the moment comes that the situation happens when those ideologies turn into weapons. Yep. Like the the ones that don't cause immediate harms are, harm are the ones that we need to address immediately. Um, you know, Travis and and uh, and Gregory um, McMichael. McMichael, they're someone's uncle, brother, um, friend, family that those friends, those families, that sphere of influence just allowed those racist ideologies and attitudes to exist that the moment came when they saw a black man running down their street, they, they chased him down in response. Um, they assumed the worst and chased him down. They're, like Those ideologies could have been stopped years ago, but it's years of those things festering. And if we're willing to have the conversations now before the harm is done, we could potentially s- prevent those situations from ever escalating to begin with when they come or if they come because um, they don't come for everyone, but they do come. So the next case that we're going to talk about um, is George Floyd. Uh, yeah, George Floyd in Minneapolis. Um, this one is more recent in that it happened, I believe, Tuesday morning, maybe Monday afternoon, but it happened after within hours, apparently, of <laughs> of. Um, yeah, 8 p.m. Monday. Happened the exact same day, just within hours. Um, so, according to Minneapolis police, the encounter between George Floyd and officers happened just after 8 p.m. on Monday, and we're going to link to news sources uh, in the show notes. Uh, when police were called on a report of a man, they were called to an address in Chicago, or in, in sorry, in Minneapolis, um, on a report of a man attempting to use forged documents at a store. Officers found Floyd in a car at the scene, and he appeared intoxicated, police say. Officers ordered him to get out of the car, and then um, police spokesman John Elder said on Tuesday morning that after he got out, he physically resisted the officers. Officers were able to get the suspect into handcuffs, and the officers noticed that the man was going into medical distress. An ambulance brought Floyd to Hennepin Healthcare, where he later died, police say. So this got attention because people obviously recorded it. There's a nine-minute video circulating that shows a white officer... um, it actually shows right behind a squad car. It shows George Floyd on the ground. You can only see basically his shoulders up. He's in handcuffs and there's a white officer with his knee on George Floyd's neck. And he's just, he's just chilling there. One knee. It's it. It, if you, it, I mean, he's literally taking a knee. He is doing the exact, it's, it, it's, it's incredible how symbolic that is. When when just when juxtaposed next to an image of Colin Kaepernick, like it's amazing how like yeah. just wild um, that that is the case. But in this video, this this officer for over four minutes has his knee just on Floyd's neck, and while lying face down in the road, 
Lloyd repeatedly groans and says he can't breathe. And bystanders are recording, which good. And they're telling him, you can hear them in the background saying he's not even resisting arrest right now. Like, is this really warranted for someone who's in handcuffs? You know, you're, you're killing him. He can't breathe. Get off of him. Please stop this. And the other officers are standing around just waiting. He did not take his knee off until medical personnel arrived. Four minutes. And you watch this man in the video, the life just leave his body. It is, it is one of the harder videos I've watched because it's so, it's so intimate. Like you were right up close, can see this man essentially look him in the eye as this is happening to him, knowing that, that there was nothing that seemingly that could have been done to stop it for those, for, for witnesses. And I'm going to get into why that's the case, because the exact reason that they couldn't stop anything or intervene is, is, is the individual exceptionalism that is involved in this situation. Um, but I, this is, this is the first police brutality case that I've seen. And many of my friends have shared the same express or expressed the same sentiment that many right-wing media companies, like even Fox news is like, yeah, nah, this one was, there's this one was bad. Like (laughs) there's no, he was, he was called on for using forged documents in a store and public intoxication was not even the call, just what they, what they, they observed when they got there. In what world does that does that deserve uh, the death penalty on a on site? Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Just so yeah, it's, it's yeah. like it's like a legal gun owner being shot. You know, again in Minnesota. Yeah. You know, it's like he owned a gun legally. He said, "I have the gun." You know, it's that level of. <laughs> We're all agreeing about this. There, there's no, you did everything right. You know, it was funny because um, right before that case, and I can't remember the name of the um, young man that was that was shot in his car next to his fiance. Um, but I remember before this, uh, there was a a I believe it was. Um, it was a Fox News anchor, but I'm trying to think of his name now and I can't think of it. Anyway, he literally does a video where he demonstrates when he's holding, if he gets pulled over what he does and he literally gets, first of all, he gets out of the car, which <laughs> yeah, never get out of the car. He admits he has a video and then he reaches back behind him and pulls up his shirt. And cops were saying, well, first of all, um, don't get out of the car ever. Never reach behind your shirt. Always show your hands above. What you should do is say, officer, you know, put your hands out of the window, do all that. And they go, the Philando Castile. That's the yeah, thing. I was about to, I was going to um, tell you, it was Castile. So, yeah. uh, you know, with Philando, he was doing all that. Um, you know, and they ask, oh, well, I could smell marijuana smoking. Okay. None of that. Again, it doesn't justify. And this is the same one where it's like they don't have anything to say. They literally, there's, there's, it's like they did everything according to what you say is supposed to happen, happened, and they still killed a man. Yep. And that's, I mean, it is, it's incredible. It, it's rather incredible to hear the silence. Yeah. And so the silence is deafening, as they say. And, 
And there's been protests. And I just watched a video earlier today. Once again, it's May 27. Watched a video earlier today of flashbang grenades being deployed um, in during the protests. Uh, protesters had gotten into what looked like a police parking lot, and um, I'm just angry. And I, I can't blame them for their anger. I wish it was expressed differently, but that's not my. At this point, that's not the thing that I'm concerned about. Nor is that worth my attention nearly as much as what actually happened on Memorial Day. But how is this a case of of you know how is any of this tragedy? individual exceptionalism and he, and here's here's where this here's where this all comes to play the police have an an inherent power dynamic with citizens there's an inherent power differential between police yep. and citizens it exists we've talked about this within the realm of abuse um and in the the Matthew 18 instructions for how to handle someone who sins against mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. And we say that in abuse, Matthew 18 doesn't apply because that an assume, it assumes, yeah, equal power, equal dynamic. power dynamic. Correct. Yeah. And um, the reason that this is exceptionalism is because that this officer, I mean, just it's the video, it's the video's existence itself. This officer could place his knee on George Floyd's neck and sit there for five minutes, and there is nothing anyone else can do except record and beg him to get off. That's it. The only other people that can do anything about it are the other police officers there who are trying to support their colleague and, you know, the police brotherhood and, and support. Um, because if they, I, 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 I can get there to some degree, I can get a hesitance to act because they don't want to undermine the authority of the police or the, 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 um, the credibility of the police by telling another police officer he's, it's kind of like you don't disagree with, you know, your company publicly. Yeah. Um, it's that kind of thing. Um, and they didn't, they probably didn't believe that George Floyd was going to die in that moment. And, um, but there's nothing anyone else could do the most like this dude has a gun. He has a taser. There are other officers there to protect him. He has the power of the state behind him. Yeah. For a citizen to go up against that, like (laughs) the most that citizens can do there is record and plead for him to get off. Well, and the way, you know, it's an abuse of power. Insert. Take away the uniform, take away the badge, insert normal clothes. What changes in the situation? If someone records somebody else doing that, that's murder. Yep. Right? If that's a video, I remember back in the day when you had uh, um, LimeWire and you, you, know, you would see that like LimeWire fights or whatever. Um, that's murder. If someone records somebody else, holding them down until they can't breathe and die. That's murder, right? Uh, you look at the video of the, the, the guy that had butted, you know, yeah, remember I was about that? To bring that uh, up. Uh, yeah. The dude that's trying to use his dad's buddy to, to scrub the internet, the, right, the, yeah. the internet. You look at that. Okay. Had the guy who ended up bringing him down, um, who did it in a fairly safe way. I mean, one could argue that, you know, he kind of threw him close to the desk, but he was getting punched at, yep. um, had he held him down and choked him until he died, there'd be a murder charge. That would be murder. That would be murder. Or at least manslaughter. At minimum, yeah. manslaughter. Um, but he held him. Did not. He held him. him <laughs> didn't do it. And, and to me, that is evidence that you can do it without killing them. Yep. Again, 
Oh, you know what yeah. else is evidence that you can do without killing them? Think of all the think of all the white people that have committed way worse crimes that have just. Oh, been arrested I, and we're out. not even going to we're not even going to talk about that. But we're going to say even in that moment, if yes. you are if you are needing to, because hey, look, we we've all been around drunk people. We know how they act. Yes, he could have been swinging. He could have taken a swing. Um, that might have happened. But you can do it in a way that doesn't choke them out and kill them. You can. And he was already in handcuffs. And he already was in handcuffs. What's he going to do? Run awkwardly away? Okay. Taser him if he runs away. But but again, and again, again, this isn't one on four, right? This is one officer trying to deal with four other people. You mean, you mean this is one man, four four police officers. No, no, no. This is. Four police officers trying to subdue one guy. Yeah, you said it backwards. That's no, no, no. This, there me. isn't one officer trying to do four people. Oh, okay. Now I understand what you're saying. You know okay. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. You have three other grown men also with guns and tasers and handcuffs. Who, right? And so that's why it's an abuse of power. Yep. That's why it's an abuse of power. This- because if you take away the badge, this is manslaughter and murder. And so this is the issue that people are seeing is that, well, the rules don't apply because X, Y, Z, I am different. I don't have to, I don't have to respond in the same way, except you do. And you're telling me that you as a human being, let alone someone with police training, don't know that if you put, if you place a ton of pressure or your entire body weight on someone's neck for five minutes, it's not going to do some damage. Like I don't buy that. Sure, it's an assumption, but I don't buy it. Um, these op- these officers, especially the one specifically the one who had his knee on the man, was were able to kill George Floyd knowingly in broad daylight in public while people were recording it, and nothing could be done to stop it except if the other officers present had stopped him, or someone was willing to risk their own life and freedom to stop it themselves which which you would go to jail i mean that is yeah you get arrested that is aiding and abetting resisting arrest and here's the here's the the discipline because some people are like well do it anyway because the video will exonerate you no it like it won't i mean it might sure but it's likely that if if someone intervenes and stops the crime from happening the video no longer shows the crime yeah that you intervene to stop and and you want to talk about escalating a situation? You know what makes cops pull their firearms? A lot and of use them. Yeah, a lot yeah. of citizens when they feel unsafe. Death. When a bunch of angry citizens, like when flashbang grenades went off in a protest yeah. today. Yeah. So that's the type of thing that it happens. Yep, that's the type of thing that's going to escalate a situation. If police have gotten off the hook for actually killing people. What makes us think that they wouldn't get off the hook for less when you're in the wrong. And by the way, if you were to charge and I'm not saying don't do anything, but this is the power dynamic we're talking about. If you were to charge the cop and get him off and physically assault the officer to get him off, they could shoot you dead. They could shoot you. Now there could be a debate about excessive force, but you would be dead. Yeah. There's no debate. It has happened before. There are recorded cases of it happening before. You would, they would literally have justification and could claim defense. Now, again, you could put the recording in and people could see, but those cops could have, Mm -hmm. and, and let's put it on the other side, right? Because there are good police officers. 
you're coming to, let's say, a bar at 3 a.m. There are 18 guys who are drunk and fighting, and you're trying to stop that fight. And someone comes up with a club and hits one of your guys, right? Now, right? You see what I'm saying? So, okay, you can see from the other side why you might feel threatened. Yep. So, yeah, it, you really can't do anything in, in a situation like George Floyd's because there needs to be a justification for cops to say, hey, I'm feeling threatened. My life is in danger. And that's why it's an abuse. Oh, that's man. why it is an abuse. You know what's even funnier? Ah. And by funnier, I mean tragic. I'm watching. I just looked up a video of this because I wanted to see yeah. something. Um, I want to check something different, but there's a video that's been released of the entire encounter leading up to the knee. He was never resisting arrest. Oh, of course not. Nope. Oh, of course not. Of course. Yeah, right. It shouldn't be surprising. Why, why, what why? I was actually looking up and I haven't found it yet was the original video of, I wanted to know how, just how relaxed the officer with his knee on him really appeared. Like he didn't, he could sit there not having to have his hand on his gun, not having to, not having to really worry about anything happening because he's with his, he's with other police officers. He's the one who has authority. Like, He's the one invest. He's the one vested with power to do whatever he deems necessary, no matter who is around. Um, he could do whatever he deemed necessary simply because of his job and what he carried on him. And the easiest way for people to end up dead is for someone who has just a little bit of authority to think that that authority grants them inherent value and power over others. Think about on on a grander scale, the amount of deaths from cancer that corporations and CEOs knowingly put um, in the seventies and eighties. Right? They knowingly put out cancer's objects. I mean, right now Johnson and Johnson. I mean, they they are being sued by I want to say like over a hundred thousand people. Oh, class action um, for in a, in a massive class action because they knowingly kept, you know, talcum powder and talc powder. Uh, they knew it was causing cancer and problem. Think about on, you know, in the Vatican, $150 million verdict against. Yeah. In mesothelioma. Yeah. Wow. Lawsuit. Wow. Think, think, think about those bishops in Boston that knowingly kept moving predators around. But because they were, quote unquote, higher authority, they could do that. That's why this principle is so important. That's why it is so important for us to talk about this. Because you see it. How I mean, how many churches? <laughs> yep. How many pastors abuse that power because they never learn? How many, how many, how many incidents would we, I mean, at one point you ask yourself, and, and, and I asked this with the McDonald, um, uh, I can't remember the church name, but the, the guy that took out a hit. Oh, James McDonald. James McDonald. Uh, yeah. Right. You, you could say, how could a pastor get to the point where he takes that hit because of that exceptionalism? Yep. Because of the inconsideration taken to a, a, a blatant level. And it, but it happens. Didn't, it didn't start there. And it happens like every time a pastor speaks into an area of someone's life that they have really no business speaking into, but they think I'm the I can pastor. do that because I I'm a it. pastor. I, I, it's my responsibility as your pastor to speak into this area of your life that you did not give me permission to. 
nor do I have ever, any actual right to. I was involved with the church up in, in Andrews and uh, the senior pastor at the time, very nice guy. Um, not this a, is a church mean near person. This isn't associated specifically. No, 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 with Andrews. No, yeah, no, 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 Andrews. This in, is in the area. In the area. Yeah. In the area. And um, it isn't, it isn't a bad story necessarily, but it, to me, it just proves that point. We were talking about how sometimes pastor overstep when it comes to mental health issues, right? Um, you're not a counselor. And at first, like he disagreed with us and we thought, oh, he doesn't understand, you know, what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Right. We thought he was saying like, no, you should be there for your people. And we're like, oh yeah, we're not talking about going out, but we're saying like when they have it and he goes, oh no, 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 you're the pastor. Like you should try to help someone who's feeling suicidal and, and no, 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 you, you don't need to give them out to a counselor. And it was that again, it was this arrogance and pride. That mastic self and, oh, well, I'm responsible, right? Because I'm sure people in places of power, oh, well, I'm accountable to the shareholders who've invested money, right? You mask it with all these, oh, self-effacing and and selfless, quote unquote, ideas. But the reality is, it's this principle of individual exceptionalism, of inconsideration that comes through and that's why it's so dangerous and it bugs me when the people in my life and i love them dearly break those little rules oh hey let's just jump this fence let's do this little thing i don't like that it bothers me it legitimately bothers me right um i had a friend we were catching up hanging out and we're like hey we should go and do uh there's a, a hotel nearby and they have this you know gallery um upstairs They're like oh we should go in no, like, you know, this was right in the middle of, of, or right, right before the main, you know, the city shut down and COVID virus was out. And I said, no, like, we don't, you know, like we don't have masks. We're not, and they were like, oh, come on, it'll be fine. And, and to me was that level of arrogance of like, dude, you are literally putting people's lives at risks. I know at risk. I know that you're not doing this out of malicious intent, but it was that level of exceptionalism that eventually blows up and becomes this huge, it, it brings out racism. Mm-hmm. It brings out classism. It brings out, uh, 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 I was going to say socialism. Uh, but th- this idea of, uh, I am, I am better because of economic mm-hmm. status, statusism, I guess. Um, it brings out sexism. Yep. It brings out all these negative qualities because I am better than these rules don't apply to me. Yep. I am the pastor. I'm the worship leader. I'm the, this, I'm the, that I am X. Therefore. Yeah. If you think this is like a white, tri- a white person guilt trip. No, episode, that's like, not. This is the furthest thing from no, it. it is. It, that's, that's the, 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 the nexus that this is taking within because racism, you yes. see a white police officer, which is a huge pr- place of power. But how many, how many, how many, politicians do we see this with i mean we have this one politician that went from a meeting right i believe it's a senator it might be a representative but went from a meeting where they said oh this is going to tank this industry and short sold his stock on all that industry oh he was the uh he was a, he was a chair of the yeah of the chair yeah he was a committee chair of right? the exa- of the trade basically and told family yes and told family about yep. it but but 
is he going to get, is he going to try? Is he going to, I mean, I, he stepped down from his position. I oh, do know that pending I, the I investigation, that, but, but, but I don't it's know. like, you see, that's what I'm saying. You see that he gets same a pending level. investigation for that. But George Floyd loses his life for, right. um, for being a little bit intoxicated and for using forged documents. A in mom a lies school. about getting her kid in a different district so he can go to a better school, which we can talk about redlining all we want. Um, and she goes to jail for a year. Yep. Or was it, I think it was just one year, but she goes to jail regardless. Right. She, a mom wants her kid to go to a better school and she goes to jail. This guy breaks major, major, major laws and he gets a pending investigation. So yep. th- that's the level of exceptionalism that we're talking about. So what do we do about it? And um, we're going to end with just a couple points here that um, what, what can we do moving forward? Because we're not just about complaining about these things, but actually doing something right, about exactly. them. Exactly. So I think the first thing to do is we need to understand that exceptionalism already has and will continue to result in death. We need to understand the exact potential that this feeling of superiority actually has. And we have to accept the real danger that it poses in order to even begin to deal with it. I think racism is perhaps the most prevalent form of exceptionalism as far as like within the social we see it the most, community yeah, yeah. Um, right now um, as it's, you know, based on, on feeling superior to people of different racial backgrounds, what we see it in. I mean, we're talking about exceptionalism in gender, culture, culture. Um, I mean, even, anything as far as, you know, which music groups you like better or genres um, you see it in um economic superiority and socioeconomic inequality. You see it in social superiority. I am of a higher social status than you uh, because of the certain things I like or do or the PC overlords. I mean, and all gaming. of bullying culture is, is exceptionalism, right? Right. That's all bullying culture is. Um, people who think that they can, um, people who think that they're better than you because their preferences are different. Um, so yeah, we need to learn that. And I think the other thing we need to do is learn about our own prejudices and in what ways that we think we're better than others. We need to analyze why we feel that way. So we need to learn about our own biases. We need to figure out what ways we think we are better than others and what and why we feel that way. Because all of us feel that way about something. About at some someone, level. At, at some level. level. And anytime we feel as though we are better than someone else, if that person or a person from that group threatens us, we will respond as if we are better than them. It doesn't matter if it's perceived racial, social, economic, gender, or mental, whatever. When that feeling of superiority is threatened, most people, all people act to protect it at the expense of those that we deem inferior, even if they aren't actually inferior at all. Yeah. Like superiority and exceptionalism naturally results in a win lose scenario because one person acts with the goal of winning, even if it means the other person loses. But feelings of equality, I think, actually drive us toward a win-win situation and solutions that honor both parties involved and seek peace and well-being for all parties involved, right? Like, it prioritizes both people coming out of this better than they were before, having grown, having, you know, and, and, and having become better as a result. Like, this seeks the best possible outcome for both yeah. people. Well, and for Christians, I mean, there's literally how many verses where it talks about, you know, don't think of anyone as better than yourself. Mm-hmm. Think of yourself as the most low, you know, be humble, be meek. Yep. It's that idea of equality, right? I worked hard for this. So you should have to work hard for this. Yeah. Gal- which is, you know, Galatians yeah. five and Christ. They're, they're, we're yep. all the same. There's, yep. there's, there's a leveling there. And so 
you know, you can argue maybe from a non or, or a non-Christian perspective, you could say that there is, but for Christians, it's about equality. And, and so you see that level of win-win. Um, and that's what we should be going for. I think the other big thing that we need to do is we need to address this exceptionalism whenever it appears yep. in our lives, wherever it appears, um, especially from close friends or family. Right? Yes. It, you don't need to get involved in every Facebook thread or Twitter fight, you know, it, like not, not, not advocating, <laughs> but at some level, you know, Jesus said, I, I came to bring a sword. Right. The true value in those Facebook discussions that happen is not in convincing the other person or the other participants that you're right and they're wrong. You're fighting for the, for the neutral readers, the observers. So if you're having those discussions, like the way that you act and respond is really important and apologizing when you're wrong is really important and, and, and you know, communicating and standing up to that is important because it's not necessarily that you'll change the other participants' minds. It's that you'll impact the lives of people who don't have a personal stake in the conversation you're having. Their ego and isn't on the line in having to beat you on their Facebook status. Well, and we have a responsibility to, especially to those close to us, but really to everyone out there to hold them accountable um, to their personal development and how they treat the world around them. Um, we, should hold people accountable to be considerate um, and a story. Because when someone believes they are better than someone else, they will naturally begin to live in a way that infringes on the rights and value of someone else. And your rights end where my nose begins, right? That's the that's way mean, we that, talk about this. We, we've talked about this so many times. Every murder, every, every sexual assault, every one of those things is based in this idea that because I am who I am, I can do this thing to you and get away with it. And and in some cases, you even deserve this because you're not as good as me. And and I want to give this. I I, I want to land this home with a very simple example of what this means because this this impacts every fiber and corner of our lives. This isn't this isn't like oh the big stuff that we see the news. This is everyday interactions. It that happens we have. a lot. Yeah. There was a Reddit thread the other day in a subreddit that I cannot say on this podcast because it involves a curse word. Um, and we don't we're family friendly here, but it's am I the something whole. Um, and a man asked, um, am I in the wrong for calling out um, a friend of mine for calling a mutual friend uh, a neckbeard the, the, um, behind his back when he left the room? And he tells the story essentially of how they were, they were hanging out, a whole group of them, and this, this mutual friend of his is, if you know what a neckbeard is, it's kind of the... the, the the stereotype of a of an overweight white guy who has really gross facial hair and unkept you know long hair um sweaty a lot of acne anime shirts or gaming shirts it's that kind of appearance yeah socially awkward or creepy when he comes to talking to girls it's that's that's what they that's the, what they the, refer the, to the, as a the, the stereotype of like a 35 year old gamer who lives you know in you his mother's the basement. world of warcraft yeah, episode where they do or of of South Park. Yeah, that that's what that's what. But there's, I mean, but you, is, yeah, yes. you've seen a. There's a what's his name from Simpsons that does the the game. So, yeah, so the mutual bunch. friend leaves the room, and as soon as he does, this other girl um, basically says, "Thank God he's gone. He's such a neckbeard." And this guy that's making this post stood up to her and said, "That's not cool. Like, don't don't say that to him. Like, that's not right." And you know, he doesn't even fit that stereotype. And everyone was like, dude, just, 
just you know drop it. He's just, she was just kidding. Like it's just a joke. It's no big deal. Um, you know, don't worry about it. Whatever. But it wasn't just a joke. And this girl bullying this dude went behind his back. Wasn't it, like this? She wasn't just kidding. This was a moment where someone felt superior enough and powerful enough to make that kind of comment without consequence. And when rubber met the road, that belief and those feelings of superiority were, def- were reinforced because the majority of her friends have defended her and what she did as a joke. Like they've yeah. defended her. They've reinforced it by telling her that we are okay with you making jokes like this about someone that isn't in our friend group. Not even like it was a total stranger. And this was someone that like the 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 poster of that of this thread like had gone and asked other people in the friend group about the guy if he fit any of the other stereotypes or was creepy or was a neck beard in the traditional stereotypical right, yeah. sense. And they were like, yeah. nah, he's he's just socially awkward, but that's it. Like he's, we've never felt creeped out by him. Whatever. Like those are the moments when someone makes yeah. some offhand comment about someone in in a way that is intended to drag them down. Like it's one thing if we're ribbing between friends and having a good time and both people, both individuals are accepting of it. Like Tony and I rag on each other all the time. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but that, that's how, you know, you're friends with either one of us. Yes. If we start making fun of you, if we're very polite to you, we're, we're not comfortable around you. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I will say making fun but, does but, not mean calling you the worst of a stereotype. Right, yeah. Or, and And I think that's the thing that we go with is even if it is, mean or malicious it's not done to hurt but it's done really in jest in a safe place it's done in the safe space with the consent of both people involved and if one of us we know that we're okay we've given each other permission to do that and if you crossed a line tony you would know like i would tell you and i would feel comfortable telling you and you would say oh dude i'm so sorry like i'll yeah which and we have i mean the amount of times we're like i've you know I won't bring it up here on the podcast, <laughs> but we have had conversations where, you know what I mean? And, and it's like, really, 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 really? Yeah. And, and we've both done that for each other. And it's like that type of thing where that's the relationship that we have. But when you do it with the intent to hurt and both of us have called other people out, even in each, like in the yes. presence for that specific reason, because we know like, Hey, that's not cool. Yeah. Um, and the reason for it isn't because we want to be mean or, or we want to ruin someone's life. We want to make that person better. Yeah. We want to try to help people out. Uh, we don't always, I don't always succeed in doing that, but when you hold someone accountable, um, you know, it, it sounds ridiculous, but you're making them a better person. I hope that my friends love me enough to risk their friendship with me Absolutely. to stop me from doing something, uh, to stop me from doing something that will be harmful or dangerous or whatever. Right. Like I hope that's the case. Yeah. I hope that my friends love me enough that if I was threatening to commit suicide and I told them, don't tell anyone they would go and tell someone. I hope that they would risk me being mad at them for that in order to save yep. my life. Yep. Um, Absolutely. I, it, it is like, at least I'm alive. I can get over the anger, yeah. but I can't get yeah. over the suicide. Yeah. If I commit it, like th- th- this is that, that's what I'm saying. Like we have a responsibility to do this, especially to the people that are in our communities, in our churches that we are in covenant community with, um, which means that we're getting to know them. They're not just people who attend our church. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So 
we hope that these are all things that you can take with you. Um, these are terrible tragedies that have happened that were preventable entirely. Um, and they can, and future ones can be prevented if we would just be willing to confront this stuff when it comes up in innocuous conversation and in everyday life. Period. So, thank you guys so much for listening. Tony, do you want to end with any final thoughts or anything? Or? Uh, that was a that. Cool. I just want to make sure I don't just cut you off. But thank you all so much for listening. I would hold you accountable if you did. Uh, (laughs) Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye.